0: Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge, another episode where you're joining me to look at a passage of the Old Testament in accordance with the schedule provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Come Follow Me curriculum going through the Old Testament. And for this week, the week of July 11th through the 17th, we're looking at 2 Kings 17, through 25. That's what's on the schedule. That's not what we're going to look at. That's a lot to cover, but uh, we're going to look at a passage from, or a couple passages actually, from within that set. My name is Jeremy Howard. I am the staff pastor here at Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. What is a staff pastor? Well, I'm a pastor who is on staff. I'm a vocational minister, you could say, if you wanted to use fancy language that uh, some people don't want to use. If you want to use it, that's what you could say. I'm a vocational minister. I am uh, provided a salary by the church here, the fellowship here. They have elected to do that, and I am full time teaching the Bible and caring for God's people. I think it's the most amazing thing in the world. I'm so so thankful. So uh, here I am, and today we are going to jump into Second Kings chapter 18. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. Second Kings 18, and we are. Starting off the uh, the lesson here by looking at the beginning of Hezekiah's reign as king in Judah, and uh, yeah, this is this is pretty interesting. Hezekiah's got several chapters devoted to his reign uh, at that time. Not every king in Israel or Judah had a lot of information about them. You'll notice that as you read through First and Second Kings where some kings, it's like, wow, three sentences, they reigned, that guy reigned for 15 years, and then he died, and that's all you got. And uh, and then, of course, the Lord's judgment of whether he was a good king or a bad king. And then others, like Hezekiah, you get a lot more detail, and you kind of get to know that king a little bit. So Hezekiah is one of those. We're not going to get into the details of Hezekiah's life. There's so much to see after the passage we're going to look at here today. You can see where he um, had this illness. Uh, He was sick and was about to die, and he prayed to God, and God healed him and extended his life. That's a very interesting story. Um, And and there's a lot more that goes on in Hezekiah's life, but we're just not going to get into details today. I want to just give you a simple thought from the beginning, the opening of Hezekiah's uh, reign. I almost want to say ministry. And in a sense, it is a ministry. The, a, a good king over God's people at that time was a minister to them, uh, a servant to the people in a sense. Now, of course, he was king, but he was to serve them in godliness, lead them into truth, to love the people. I mean, that's what a good king does, right? But uh, let's look at the beginning of his reign in Judah. It says in 2 Kings 18, verse 1, Now, it came about in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, the king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. Now, just a quick note here Uh, Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, he was a bad king. He was a crazy, crazy guy. You can read about Ahaz uh, if you'd like to see an example of a really bad king. So, that's just an interesting note. Hezekiah was fathered by. A very bad king. And now it's Hezekiah's turn to be king. Verse 2. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. So from ages 25 to 54, he was, he was king in Judah, reigning from Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. That's quite the name. It was called Nehushtan. Verse 5, he trusted in the Lord the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. All right, so uh, those last verses there show just how good of a king Hezekiah was in the sense that he clung to the Lord. I love that phrase. He clung to Yahweh, the God of Israel. He sought to obey the commandments that God had given Moses for the nation of Israel. He, he hung on to God himself, and He was prosperous. Wherever he went, he prospered. He did not give in to the Assyrians. The Assyrians had just defeated Israel, the northern kingdom. And so now, um, you know, we're in the middle of Israel's history where they had split into two kingdoms, the north and the south. The north, they've fallen to the Assyrians. And the southern kingdom, Judah, where Jerusalem is, they're hanging in there and they're being led by a good king right now, Hezekiah. And they will not be defeated by the Assyrians. That's an amazing thing. In fact, if you keep reading, you'll find out that Jesus killed 185,000 Assyrians on behalf of the southern kingdom, Judah. Now, that's pretty amazing. So, you can check that out. I, I said that in a way that'll make you want to read it, I hope. Pretty cool. Well, uh, eventually the southern kingdom does get overtaken by the Babylonian empire, but that's something we'll look at later on down the road. For now, we just see Hezekiah standing strong, and he's seeking God, and God is prospering him. Israel is, uh, Judah properly, is being protected by God under the good leadership of Hezekiah. Now, uh, there are a couple things I want to point out. Um, Let's go back and look at uh, verse 3. This is what I have just been talking about. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Now, David wasn't his direct father. I mentioned there in verse 1, it says Ahaz was his father. Uh, But David, of course, was like a great-great-great-great-grandfather. And so um, he's from the line of David here. But now look at what it says in verse 4. This is what I want us to dwell on here for quite a while. It says that, One of the acts of Hezekiah that was right, one of the righteous, helpful acts of Hezekiah was to break down some of these symbols of worship, to remove some of these uh, key elements of Judah's worship. It starts by saying that he removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. Right? So high places, sacred pillars, Asherah. Now these are all tied to idolatry, false worship, false gods. Um, we talked about the Baals or the Baals that existed at that time. Remember, I think it was the last, no, maybe it was the one before that. Uh, here recently, one of the lessons that we went through, it was about Elijah. And he had his showdown with the false god, of Baal or Baal, and you had these people of that false god calling out to him, saying, rain down fire from heaven, and nothing was happening, and then Elijah made the wood really wet on his side, and he said, Lord of Israel, rain down fire, and there comes fire. Well, that was a false god, Baal or Baal, who wasn't able to perform for those people that Elijah was squared up against. The Asherah, that's the female version, essentially, of the Baals or the Baals. And it says here that Hezekiah cut down the Asherah. These were often trees, like really, really big trees that they would shape to their desire. And they would worship these trees and the high places and the sacred pillars. So you have all these idolatrous elements that were existing in Judah that Hezekiah rightly attacked, took them down, took them away. But now look at the next verse or the next phrase in the same verse. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called, and there's our funny word, Nehushtan. It was called Nehushtan. So not only did he go after the clearly idolatrous symbols, the, the Asherah, the high places, the sacred pillars, these things that had nothing to do with Yahweh, He breaks into pieces this bronze serpent that Moses lifted up. Now, if you remember uh, this amazing story back in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, where Moses, when he would hold up this bronze serpent, the people would look upon the bronze serpent and be healed. And that's an amazing story. And they still had this artifact in Israel. They still had it with them. And this is a long time after Moses. I mean, we're talking hundreds of years after moses uh, even twice as long as america has existed because this is probably around 700 years or so after that time with the bronze serpent and america has existed for what not even 250 years yet so yeah it's amazing that they still had this (laughs) it's it's really really astounding and that's like us today having something from the 1300s very precious, right? We, we love history. In fact, uh, here where I live in the Payson area of Utah, it's growing very rapidly. And there are are lots of conversations all the time about having to expand roads or make new roads or build new neighborhoods. And you have a lot of these older buildings. Most of them haven't been around for more than 150 years. A lot of them haven't even been around a hundred years, but you have these older buildings and a lot of people love them and don't want them taken down. They love their tradition. They love their uh, history. It's like, oh, you can't you can't touch that tradition. We have to preserve it. Now, there's a a good element to that, and there's a potential bad element to that. It's good to conserve and preserve, though just generally speaking, those are very good things. And to, preserve this bronze serpent from Moses? Like, how cool would it be if we still had that today to look at it? I mean, that would be amazing. But there is a potential downside, bad side. Excuse me. There we go. That should be better. (laughs) There's a potential bad side to preserving and conserving. And that is when you cross the line over into worship. And it can be really hard for us to know when we've done that. I mean, each one of us, uh, we kind of need someone else to tell us when we do that, because we can get so excited about something that it just evolves into idolatry. And here in Israel, again, properly Judah, uh, but just generally speaking, Israel, you have these Israelites who have the bronze serpent of Moses preserved for them, And yet they've gotten to the point where they're offering incense to it. They're offering incense to this piece of metal, bronze, this piece of bronze. And they think that by doing that, they're engaging in some sort of righteous worship. But they're not. They're not. Look how just matter of fact and kind of graphic it is. It says, he, Hezekiah, also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it. And they even gave it a new name, that Nehushtan. So this is an example of a good thing becoming a God thing. And that's not good. That makes the good thing bad. Because there is but one God and he has called us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And what man's heart often wants to do is to build up some sort of symbol, some sort of material thing that will, in their own minds, give them a spiritual experience or access to something deeper, when at the end of the day, what we're looking at is just a material thing. We're just looking at atoms that are bonded together in a material universe, something that's limited within time and space. And that thing, that's that's nothing more than we are. What are we? Well, we're we're bound together. We're within time and space. We're very limited. Now, there, there's, a, of course, a big difference in that we're made in God's image. But these things that we make with our hands, they have eyes, but they can't see. They have throats, but they can't speak. They have ears, but they can't hear. That's Psalm 115. What are these things? Well, they're not God things. They are, they are not gods. They're idols. We can make them God things, and we can dupe ourselves into thinking that they are real, but they're just idols. And you look at these people, the bronze serpent of Moses, they're offering incense to it. And you think, how stupid do you have to be? I mean, (laughs) we must have been dealing with cavemen here, right? These were knuckle draggers that they were offering incense to a piece of metal. But oh boy, I tell you, it happens a lot more than we often want to admit, where we make God things out of materials or even good things. And, uh, and this happens in a lot of dynamic ways. Not only do people still make things out of material and worship the material things and say, look how nice and beautiful this is. Let's offer incense to it. Not only does that sort of thing still happen, but even taking something like the family. Now, this is, again, it's different than just metal. We're talking about people made in God's image. But there are people who worship their family. They, they absolutely worship their family. I, I've heard someone say before, I can't imagine heaven without my family there. Wow. You know what you've just done? You've made a good thing a God thing. You can't have the glory of God. You can't have the heavenly realm without your family? Really? Your family's not God, right? And so... What, what constitutes heaven? Well, the presence of God constitutes heaven. And so turn from those things that you've made into gods in your own mind and worship the one true God, because he is literally all you need. You don't need a bronze serpent. You don't need these material things to offer incense to. You don't need your earthly, physical family. You need God. And that's a a deep reality, that is that is a a hard reality for a lot of people to come to grips with. You don't need your home, you don't need the clothes on your back, you need God and God alone. And in Israel, we actually see this happening again. It's Judah. I keep it. Feel like I have to clarify myself. But look at what happened. This is uh, just four chapters later in Second Kings. So chapter 22. Verse 8, we're now jumping into Josiah's reign, and we're not actually going to talk about uh, Josiah here that much, but uh, but listen to this. 22.8 of Second Kings. Then Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, who read it. Shaffan, the scribe, came to the king and brought back word to the king and said, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Moreover, Shaffan, the scribe, told the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaffan read it in the presence of the king. (laughs) I just love how it's written in the narrative. He found a book. Now, we already know... From a few verses before, this is the law. It's the book of Moses. It's the book of the law, is the way it's described. It's the Torah. And he found it in the house of the Lord. Now, so the important distinction has to be made here. We're not talking about some sort of lost book of the Bible, like the History Channel talks about it. Oh, we dug up another letter of Paul, and what do we do with this? Yada, yada, yada. It's not that. This is in the house of the Lord. So it does say lost book in the text, but a way that you can think about it to maybe have the understanding of what's going on hit home is we found the ignored book of the law in the house of the Lord. It was there. It was just totally ignored. And you can see uh, again from the text as Chaffan goes to the king, he talks about the money first and then, like, as an afterthought, he says, oh, yeah, basically. And Hilkiah the priest has given me a, a book. So then he starts reading it, and look at, look at what happens next. Verse 13, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Uzziah, The king's servant saying, so, okay, a lot of names, you may have gotten lost there. The king is commanding something. And here's the quote, verse 13. Go inquire of the Lord for me and the people and all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us, because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine this? They find the book they were supposed to be paying attention to all along. What were they doing instead of paying attention to the book? They were burning incense to the serpent. They were all caught up in the material things. They were playing the harlot with the idols, the Baals and the Asherah, going to the high places and playing with the sacred pillars. And they had skipped over God's book. They had ignored the revelation of God. They had rejected the word of God. They weren't listening to the Lord. They were performing idolatrous worship before him, and they were deserving of wrath. You see what happens when we make a good thing, a God thing? you will inevitably, absolutely lose God in the process. You will lose your creator as you create new gods. And so what we have to do is start with a posture of, God, teach me and show me from your word how it is I'm supposed to live. We are to go to God and say, Lord, I, I want you and you alone alone. I don't want anything else that I'm tempted to make a God in my own heart. I want you, my maker, the eternal one, the one true God. I want you. And the Bible is where you start. You open up his word and you hear from him and you're instructed by him and how to live. Well, I hope that has been helpful today. Maybe it's taught you something. Maybe it's encouraged you. Maybe it's reminded you of something you needed to hear. Thanks for joining me, taking time out of your day. As always, feel free to reach out. You can find us on Facebook or online. You can go to com or dot com. would love to get a message from you. Let me know how I can better serve you. And until next time, God bless.